to have the opportunity of sharing with you from the Word of God. I, I think my sermon may be a little bit different today than what I'd prepared. Uh, God has been speaking to me during the service, so I'm not sure what we're going to do with the um, overhead. We might not use it yet, so I'll give you the word when we get there. I, I, just, I just have a deep sense in my heart today that I need to speak to you not as individuals walking the Christian life, but as the church, the body of Christ. The Bible calls us the body of Christ, the temple of living stones, the house of God. He's talking about us as individuals coming together, coming together as disciples to be the church in Casey or wherever God has planted us, wherever we are as part of the church. And he has prepared us for that in a very special way. He has redeemed us. He has filled us with the Holy Spirit. He's adopted us into his family. He's given us access to him. He's given us the capacity to, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And he's given us gifts of the Spirit that we might use to do our part in the body really well. But without our brothers and sisters, we are, we are not what God intended us to be. He called us into being to be the church, to be his body, to do his work, to reflect his love, to, to demonstrate his grace. That's what he's called us to be. We don't have a choice, really. That's God's plan. And God said, I want you to be part of the church. And when Paul was writing to the Romans, who, um, of course, were first-generation Christians, they, they were just learning this. They'd come to know the Lord. They were enthusiastic about their love for Jesus. But there were some things Paul needed to teach them. So in chapter 12, he tells them that they are the body of Christ. He says... Um, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves in the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. So when we start to think a bit more highly of ourselves than we should, we need to remember we're a body part. And Jesus is the head of the body. And we draw all our life individually and corporately from the head. Okay? Understand that. And God is in us all the time. We are indwelt by the Father. So when you came here this morning, you brought the Spirit of God with you because he dwells in you. You are the house of God. And when you came together, you became the body of Christ here in this place. So 
I just wanted to tell you that because there are a number of things that happen to bodies, isn't there? I, I'm an expert on some of this. Um, sometimes the body hurts, uh, especially when you're 50 and over, um, 50 plus, um, and your body hurts. And when your body hurts, other parts of the body take over or support or 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 strengthen, okay? And and that's what should be happening in this church right now. There are there is pain in the body. I'm not going to avoid that issue. There is pain in the body. And there are many, many people both here and not here who are feeling that pain. So how should the body respond to that? How should the body react to that? Well, Paul tells us, a bit later in Romans 12, he says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Don't just pretend. Don't just use the words. Don't just say the words. Don't just give hugs on a Sunday. Really love them. How do you know when somebody really loves you? They listen to you. They pay attention to what you have to say. They understand that you uh, are hurting when you're hurting. And they support you. They don't try to provide you with a whole lot of answers. Don't really, don't say you love people. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. That, there's a tension in that. There's a, there's a, a struggle in that, isn't there, when, when somebody we are called to love does something wrong that we are supposed to hate, what do you do with that? Well, you, you look at Jesus. You look to Jesus. What did Jesus do? He died for it. When he looked at the wrong in our lives, it didn't change the fact that he loved us. And the same is, the same is true today. When we do something that is wrong in the sight of a holy God, he continues to love us. Is that not right? And, and that love led to him paying the ultimate sacrifice for sin on the cross because he wished to redeem man and woman from their sin. So when we're in the body and someone does something wrong, we are called to, to act as Jesus would act. That means we carry the pain of that to God. We speak to the Father about it. Uh, he's the only one I know uh, that does, won't gossip about it. <laughs> we, we speak to the Father about it, and we ask him to speak to us about it, and then we act out of love. Sometimes we may need to confront, Paul says, but when we do, we confront in love. Sometimes we need to tell the truth, but when we need, we always need to tell the truth, but we need to do it in love and, and not cause offence. But Paul isn't finished yet, he's just started. He says, really love them, hate what is wrong, and hold tightly to what is good. So there is this, there is this uh, command 
not just to hate what is wrong, but to actually hold on to and do and be committed to what is right. What is right. Let me give you an illustration here. Sometimes somebody hurts us, somebody in our family or somebody in the church does something that leaves us in emotional or psychological pain. What does God tell us to do with that? Well, before I answer that question, let me tell you what we tend to do with it in the church. We tend to bury it. We tend to push it down inside. We know we mustn't get angry, so we push it down inside and it becomes resentment and bitterness and, and, and uh, it leads to things like anxiety and depression. Now when you internalize hurt or anger, you stuff it down inside, but it, it finds a way to seep through the pores of your personality. It comes through your, your speech. It comes through your actions. It comes through your body language. And people get hurt by internalized anger seeping through the pores of somebody's personality. And it will hurt us. I... I've told my story here thousands of times, or a few times, and uh, but I, I and I don't want to tell it again. But I just want to tell part of that. I carried anger and resentment in my life from the age of of six to the age of thirty odd. And even though for some of that, for for many, at least half of that, I was a Christian and a committed Christian. And for 10 years of it, I was a pastor. Without my realizing it, people got hurt. People in my family particularly got hurt by that anger seeping out. And it would come out in criticism or sarcasm or cynicism. It would come out in self-centeredness, self-focus. And you can't live like that without people feeling hurt. And in the church it happens too. In the church it happens because we're living closely to people. We're being uh, as, as open as we can, but, but it happens there too. And one day I was confronted with the reality that it wasn't my abuse as a child that was hurting other people. It was what I'd done with the anger and the hurt. That's what it was. And it wasn't the abuse I suffered as a child that was hurting me now. It was what I did with it, how I stuck it down inside. The guilt it produced, the shame it produced, the anger it produced were all wounding me still 30-odd years later. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And so it's really important when we are dealing with pain in our lives, and some of you are right now, that you bring it to God and you make sure you don't internalize the anger you feel or the anxiety you feel or the 
or the shame you feel or the guilt you feel, but you actually speak it out. You speak it out to God. You speak to him about it. And here's, here's a, a fairly difficult thing to get your head around. You repent of it. Now, when I first was told that I should forgive the person who had hurt me when I was a child, I was really mad. <laughs> that really got me angry. Why should I forgive a person who has abused me as a child? They'd wrecked my life. They'd taken away my innocence and so on. That was what I was saying. But the reality was that, that I was wounding myself by remaining angry when I had an option. The option was to tell God that I was sorry that I had, I had refused to forgive and to, to come to the point where I forgave the person who had wounded me. I can't tell you how much joy and freedom that brought into my life. You know, it wasn't because I'd forgiven somebody. It was because I had, I had no longer any need to remain angry. I had no longer any need to remain bitter. I'd let it go. I had let the bitterness and the pain go, and I was free now. When I forgive, forgave the person who abused me, I set the, a prisoner free and found I was a prisoner. Right? I was a prisoner who was set free by my act of forgiveness. That's how God has established his plan and his purpose for you as an individual and for your church. You, if you are carrying shame through something you've done in the past, forgive yourself. On the basis that Jesus died on the cross for that sin. Forgive yourself and you will be free. God will be able to fill you with his joy. If you're angry at someone else because of what they have done, forgive them. Because if you don't, you become, you, you have the potential of becoming an abuser yourself. You understand what I mean? You hurt as hurt hurt others. People who are still hurting hurt others. That's the way it works. And so to come to God, to know he loves me absolutely, he loves me completely, he loves me unconditionally, and he will not be put off by me confessing what is on my heart, then he will forgive that and set me free. As a church, you have a challenge. The challenge is, can you do that? Can you do that for the glory of God? Can you do that for the future of the church? Can you do that for, for the witness of Christ in this city? That's the challenge. So the first thing is I've got to repent. And the second thing is I've got to forgive. And the third thing, Paul says here, is... That, I should, that we should hold tightly to what is good and love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. So God is not just calling us to, to uh, get our own hearts right, but to allow him to love others as we have been loved through us. Now, 
here is a big challenge. I don't know whether we talk about it very often, but it's a huge challenge. When Jesus says, and the scriptures say, love one another as God has loved us, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? How, how can we do that? How can you and I love others the way God has loved us? His love is so complete. His love is so full and unblemished. How do we do that? How could I love somebody else in the way I know God has loved, forgiven and cleansed my life? How can I love somebody in that same way? Well, the Bible says we can. Because it's not us that does it. It's the God in us, the God through us, who is loving our husbands, our wives, our children, our neighbours, our enemies, our brothers and sisters in the church, it is God who does that. It is God who, who quietens our spirit so that we can be the sort of supporting brothers and sisters to others that we are meant to be. Take delight in honouring each other. Raise people up rather than put them down. Don't wound them with your words. Never be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. <coughs> Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality and bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. What a fantastic picture of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. God is transforming us so we can be that sort of person. You understand that? Every day he is working in our lives to make us more patient, more kind, more loving more peaceful than we've ever been before. <clears throat> I know we get very excited in worship services, and that was a lovely worship service this morning, thank you, and, and thinking about <coughs> having more of the presence of God in my life is really very special. But what if we didn't think about ourselves, but we were praying that for the church? What if we were praying that for the church? I think my arms around too much. Um, what if we were praying it for each other? What if we're praying more of the Lord in each of our lives so that we can see it? We can see it happening amongst us. We can see people being loving and caring and we can see the force of that and the power of that and we can become part of the force and part of the power of that. It's not all about it's not all about demonstrations of power, although it's wonderful to see people healed at church. It's wonderful to see people prayed for at church. It's wonderful to see miracles happen, and we've all seen them. But do you know that we have a, we have a unsatisfiable hunger for demonstration? It's not about demonstration. It's about imitation. 
It's about reflection. You've heard me say this before, and dare to say it again, that, that we are called to be reflectors of God's love and grace. And how does a reflector work? A reflector is just a blob, isn't it, really? Whether we're talking about a bird's eye, a, what do you call them? A, a, what do you call the reflectors on the road? Bird's eye, they call them that? Pig's eyes or something? Um, whether we're that or whether we're the moon. The moon's just a blob. It just happens to be in the right place at the right time to catch the full rays of the sun, isn't that right? And then it reflects it to where we uh, are standing in the middle of the night. And we, so it can't reflect it unless it receives it first. And you and I, when we come to worship or when we're praying in our homes and when we're reading our Bible, we are receiving from God his full love and grace and his wisdom and his power Every moment of the day, we have the privilege of receiving that into our lives. Lord, thank you for this. Um, and and I, was, I was just thinking of an illustration, but I don't think I've got time to use it. <laughs> um, we receive it. So when we become reflectors and we receive that from God, we can give it out. That's the idea. We then reflect it to others. I love others as they've loved me. I for, uh, as God has loved me, I forgive others as God has forgiven me. I accept others as God has accepted me. It's not just about being forgiven and being loved and being accepted. It's about being a lover and a forgiver and an acceptor. And the place to start is in our families and then it, it goes into our homes. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important for two reasons. One is that God has called the church to do his work here on earth. You, are, you and I are meant as a church to be the body of Christ here in Casey or wherever we happen to be. We are meant to take the love of Jesus into our working workplace, the love of Jesus into our family, the love of Jesus into our neighbourhood because there isn't anybody else maybe who's going to do that. We are God's appointed person. My brother, when he was pastoring a church, went one day to visit one of his members of the church at their work. He met them in the lunchroom uh, for lunch and had lunch with them and then he... he prayed for them uh, as the church in their workplace. And the person said, but, but you're the minister, not me. And Gil said, no, no, that's wrong. You're the minister in this factory. You're the minister in this place. You may be the only Christian in this place. You may be the only one through whom the light of God is going to shine. And I've come to pray for you and care for you so that you can do that effectively. Now, that's a great truth, isn't it? Tomorrow morning when you head off to work, you might be the only Christian in your workplace. Why are you there? Because God put you there. 
who is supporting you while you are there, or your brothers and sisters who should be praying for you and supporting you. You may not be able to speak the gospel, but you can live the gospel. You can love your workmates, not just because they're Christian, but, but even though they are not. Yes, each one of us will give a personal account to God. There's a good word. So let's stop condemning each other. We're going to give account to God for our actions and our behaviours. So let's stop condemning someone else for their actions and their behaviours. Oh, it's a challenge, isn't it? How do I love people when they're doing things that are hurting others? Well, how do you know unless you try it? You've really got to try it. And you really have to have to begin to act in love toward those who are unlovely. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. It's a bit scary, isn't it, to think that as a Christian I might do something, say something, act in a way that will cause a young believer or a new believer to stumble. Well, I meet people like that all the time. I meet people who say to me, I used to go to church. I don't go to church anymore because... And they tell me a story. It might be a story about a pastor. It might be a story about leaders in the church. It might be a story about the members of the church. Now, I know that some people are a bit sensitive and they can get hurt easily. But if we do anything that does not reflect the love and the grace of God, we run the risk of causing someone to stumble. And Paul says, be sure not to do that. Don't tear apart the work of God, he said, over, over the things that you're passionate about. But, but build the word of God by the love and the grace that you reflect through your life. Now, the reason I can preach this really confidently is because I know it's possible because God is, is indwelling us with the Holy Spirit. So therefore, it's possible, isn't it? God lives in this house. So God can transform my mind. And transform the way I think about people and my attitudes. He can change it little by little, bit by bit. He's still working at it. He's been going at it in my life for <laughs> uh, 70 years. But, but he hasn't given up and neither will I. I will trust him to be alive in me, alive through my words, alive through my actions alive through my love for people. So don't tear apart the word of God by, by hanging on to selfish or, or destructive behaviours. Reflect the love of Jesus. This is a church right now that needs God's healing and it, the healing won't come from above and you'll feel wonderful. It will come when God shines his love into your life and you shine it out to each other. 
And the Bible says that means patience. That means endurance. That means encouragement. It means a whole lot of things. And you might be listening to me today and say, well, I've got it pretty well together. I'm not a very patient person, but I'm, I'm good at most other things. Well, pray for patience. And when you, when you pray for patience, he'll send you someone who will make you need it, right? And when you pray for grace, he's going to send somebody into your life who needs grace. That's how God works. And we are thankful for that too. Well, God bless you. I, we love this church and we just know that God's hand is on it and he's on you as an as a member of this body of Christ. Remember, Jesus is the head. We draw our life as the body from the head. So your personal relationship with Jesus is really very important. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, as we just ponder over these things today, as we realize that today as you, we've thought about you sitting on your throne and us worshiping you. But as you sit on your throne, you have placed your trust, your hopes, your plan, your purpose in the church. And Lord, all over the world, your body has been called to reflect the truth about the church, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, the truth about salvation. And Lord, today we pray for the church worldwide. We pray, Lord, that where we've got away from the truth, you'll bring us back to the truth. We've got away from being an authentic reflection of Jesus. You'll bring us back to being an authentic reflection of Jesus. We pray that where the church has strayed away from the Word of God, that you'll bring us back to the Word of God, that it will be the authority on which we build our life. When we're no longer standing for the truth, Lord, you'll give us the courage to stand for the truth in a world full of lies and darkness. And Lord, we pray that you'll start doing that in us, whatever it costs, whether it costs us uh, our positions, whatever it costs, we want to be the church in this broken world. And we pray that you will give us the courage and give us the faith to trust you for that. In, in Jesus' powerful name, for his sake.